my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Gage Specks for the New York City Trans Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experience of trans identifying people. It is 12 to 22, and this is being recorded in my bedroom. Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Could you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Gage Specks. Um... And I am here in Brooklyn to have this conversation. I'm very excited to be considered in this lineage of history and moment in time. And here we are. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Um, well, I loved our little warm up, so I was going to ask you again what are you wearing? I am wearing all black. I am wearing a um, Tom Ford shirt dress that is sequins, um, it's like sporty. And then a lot of fake leather. <laughs> Where did you learn about fashion? Um, since I was a child, I always loved dressing up. And I also was drawing all the time and watching old movies and just got really obsessed with women's wear specifically and women's fashion. And from a really early age started just like doing all the research I could as a kid about like designers and fashion history and I was really obsessed with like um kind of I guess mostly the 20th century but even before that too like lots of things like corsets and you know bustles and then like 20s and then 60s like got really into like historical fashion stuff. Was there a movie where you saw someone like arrive and, and it was like some sort of like turning point for you where like I need to like be like this person or I want to like dress like them um as a kid I was really obsessed with specific like Hollywood movie stars so like Judy Garland was always one of my favorites um and then like yeah just really old movies at the beginning my parents wouldn't let us watch modern TV so it was a lot of black and white movies so it was like I feel like even just like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers seeing those types of like big gowns dancing and swirling around with like feathers and like Sigfield Follies kind of stuff that was really amazing and I also had paper dolls of like Judy Garland and each different thing of or even Marilyn Monroe I think so just like different outfits that they had from different iconic movie moments so cute. What was their um, stance with, as you say, modern TV? My parents? Yeah. They just, I think, were really not about, like, violence. And, um, yeah, I think that they just thought it was too too gruesome. And I think that they just wanted to keep it more curated. And also, I think they were like, okay, old movies are safe. We don't really have to, like be worried that they're this kid's gonna see something you know mm -hmm. and what was it like where you grew up um i grew up in western massachusetts i was adopted originally from columbia and then grew up in western mass in springfield and um what was it like you mean the place or just yeah anything just like what what was your childhood like what was it filled with um, I've had a really good, like, sort of fantasy childhood, um, and my parents were very, um, um, so very supportive and then also very, um, protective of me, and I didn't really realize that at the time, but then, like, looking back, I'm like, oh, you were really 
they did a good job of being protective of me because I was so like innocent and free and they were really able they were really very chill about me expressing myself however I wanted to so like I as a kid I was like I'm a little girl I'm you know that's what I am you know and they they kind of would let me wear whatever I wanted at home like so we would do a lot of dress up and I would be wearing dresses all the time and things like that but they would never let me like choose my clothes to like go to school and I was always like mad at them about it and then like looking back I'm like oh well that's cool because they actually kind of like created this sort of time period of like where I could just sort of like do what I wanted as much as I could and just sort of not know about the sadness of the world and homophobia and transphobia and all that stuff like until later and then I was like starting to be like why am I getting weird looks when I like bring dolls to show and tell you know and then I was like oh that's not like what every little boy does I guess you know but um I don't know I was a very like quiet kid and shy like it was I was really shy until I was like even in my early 20s like it was like had a hard time talking to people and like even would sort of have like a kind of speech impediment <laughs> impediment there you go um where it was like I couldn't really get things out because I was just too nervous to like talk and so I'd like triple my words or like kind of stutter um and then you know I only I had like one best friend for a really like long time probably until I was like 12 or something like and it was like me and my friend Lily we just would uh create our own fantasy worlds and it was sort of like we were best friends and that was sort of like all we needed you know we would have other friends at school who were like want to be friends with us and we'd be like um we're kind of good we're, we're, we got this like sure we can hang out a little bit but like you know we're satisfied with our world that we have here you know but yeah and how was your adoption explained to you? Um, I was, since I was a kid, I always knew. Um, and I also, some of my, like, I remember going to my um, citizenship thing, which I guess is, I don't even understand how it works, but I guess it's when you're like three or something. Like you have to wait. It's not like right when you're born. Like you have to like wait for like paperwork to go through or something. So I remember specifically being at this thing that I had to go to. So it was like, they had already sort of discussed it with me that I was, like, born in Colombia. And, you know, so it was, like, I guess it's sort of, it must be a little hard to, like, try to explain that to a child. But I feel like I, it was something I just always grew up understanding. And so, but then um, when I would turn into 18, like, they actually just gave me this really big, um, um like envelope with all the adoption stuff and that was like a lot of information <laughs> and I was like oh whoa I thought they're like I was like I thought I knew everything and then I was like oh that's actually a lot of info <laughs> mm. but yeah yeah um and also like what in what ways was your um childhood shaped by your class or your religion was there like specific ways your parents lived that shaped you um my so my parents um in 1978, I think, or maybe earlier, bought this house. It was a Victorian house. And it was, I think, like $15,000 and really, like, sort of run down and needed a lot of work. And then they fully restored it to, like, it looks, it's basically like a house museum now of, like, 1887 or, like, Victorian times. 
And so I grew up in their sort of work in progress house. And it was finished when I was probably like five or something. So it was like I grew up in their creative process of that. And um, also I just grew up basically kind of like in 1887 aesthetic. And it was very um, over the top, like really wild, like Bradbury and Bradbury wallpapers that are like really tripped out in like the sky and um, kind of like Masonic like angles and stuff like that. It's It's very beautiful and very colorful and a lot of different textures. So I really feel like that really shifted me aesthetically and like really opened my mind to like the creative visual possibilities um but also i think that like even growing up and because of that with my parents house um people sort of had a different perception because it's like and even it's sort of similar with stuff that i've done like having the dream house um, and having that be like this big opulent kind of space, people get this very different perspective on who you are, or how much money you have based on it looking very opulent. But my parents did it all like on a budget or on a dime or like it was a lot of furniture that people were throwing out in the 70s. So even though it has this really grandiose exterior, it's not really representative of their financial situation. So it's always been a little bit like confused, like even growing up, I think people had like a, a different perspective, perspective on who I was or like what, how much money my family had, I guess. Totally. Um, what was the other part of that question? Um, if there was like a religious oh. or spiritual nature to your... Yeah. And then my parents, um, actually were very atheist. Um, but their families, my, the only religion that I really grew up with with my grandmother was um, Quaker. So when we would go to visit my grandmother in Pennsylvania, we would go to Quaker meetings. And I think that that was also very, um, like really shifted my understanding. And I, I really respect it. I still think it's a very beautiful way that they do it because it's a, a very like, you just go and sit until you quake. So it's like you're sitting in quietness and silence with a bunch of people for like two hours. And then, you know, someone literally could not talk the whole meeting or, you know, maybe there's like, but it's like a lot of quiet. And then all of a sudden someone's like, we'll stand up and be like, I just saw this flower the other day and it really made me think about blah, 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 you know? And so it's very, um, I like, I, I like how simple it is. And I really like the, um, understanding of quietness. Um, and I think that that's continued into my um, own spiritual experience now of, you know, I don't really have like a religion necessarily, but I love like a lot of different things, you know, like Buddhism also is very beautiful because it's so like quiet and meditative and things like that. So it's, I think that there's a lot of like beauty and silence and stillness and then really taking your time and not feeling like even in a conversation you have to always be talking you know I feel like it's beautiful to sort of just like let things slowly occur yeah um we were speaking of silence which is interesting since you are so much in the nightlife scene that is not really focused on a silent contemplative self although perhaps there is some sort of like interweaving of that Mm -hmm. um 
yeah, I wanted to know, I mean, we're taking a little bit of a bridge, but how did you come to New York? Um, I came, so I was in, I always thought growing up that I would be in New York City. I was like, my parents were kind of annoyed with me when I was going to look at colleges because I was like, I'm only going to Parsons. That's it. And even when I was like a really young kid, I was like, I want to go to FIT and become a fashion designer. That's it. Um, and then, yeah, and my parents were like, please just look at other schools and other places. And um, I ended up going to San Francisco, even though I got into Pratt also. Um, so I sort of took a very, like a six-year detour to New York. But I always knew that I would end up in New York. Like, that was my dream. And like, so I'm living my dream currently. And I got here... And when I was like 25 or 26. Wait, so, okay, so first you went to SF. Mm -hmm. And what were you doing there? I went to art school there. Which one? CCAC, the, the College of Arts and Crafts. And what were you doing there? Um, I went as a fashion student initially, and they kind of changed the program there. They were like, I went because they were like, it's an art fashion thing about sculpture and like, avant-garde artistic fashion we're pushing the envelope and then i got there and they're like we're restructuring everything and now we're going to be competitive with otis and parsons and i was like oh wait and they would always they had like a lot of issues with me and they were always like that's too costumey that is not um consumer friendly no one's ever going to buy that it's too out there and so they just didn't know how to handle me so i ended up um becoming a individualized major and it was like you know, I made my own major of, like, it was a mix between the art, like, the art and design worlds there. And so it was, I really ended up finding a lot more in, um, there was, like, performance and um, sculpture and installation that I, I was, like, way more into that. And I felt like within the sculpture department, they were able to understand anything that I was doing with clothes. And, like, I would just get a lot more feedback and like it, that was much better for me and then I also they even had buto classes there so I just did a lot of buto also while I was there which was amazing has that carried through in any ways that you perform yeah um but I think you know for me I did I started doing ballet as a little kid and um I think since I was like four till 12 I did ballet and so it was like, I've done a lot of different dance. So it's like all the dance kind of like went into its own, like it all got amalgamated together. So it was like a mixture. It was like, did ballet. Then in high school, I did like break dancing and funk dancing and like popping and locking and all that stuff. And then, and then I did buto. So it was like a very funny mix of a lot of different things. Mm. And what else influenced you at that time? Um, in which time? In school or in the greater SF community? Um, in San Francisco, it was a, amazing. Like, I, I definitely felt like it, it was like a calling and I was supposed to be there at that specific time between 2003 and 2009. And it was sort of the last hurrah of San Francisco in a way where, um, there was an amazing live music world and very DIY culture. Um, of amazing artists. That's where I met Raul, Danieves, and Ilan, and a lot of amazing artists and performers. Heather, Ceriza, Mona, like a lot of different amazing people. 
And so there was a lot of bands and a lot of like, I also, when I was going to San Francisco, I was like, oh, it just happens to be a gay capital. That's also great, you know? Um, but it took a minute to find the gay world, but then it was very queer. It was very um, explosively in your face, like, like kind of disgusting, filthy, like John Waters kind of like really trashy makeup and trashy hair and like glitter and excess and fur. Um, and so that really was a really great place. So sort of like not punk, but very glam or a mix of the things. And so that was a great time. Um, and then, um, and then I ha it was time to go. It was time to go when it was time to go. How, how did you decide that? Um, I just could feel it. I, and I was really sad cause I was just was like, I knew in my core that I was like, okay, I need to keep moving. And I also feel, I still, I felt it then and I still see it now that I feel like San Francisco is kind of like an island that it's amazing what happens on the island, but it's like only people on the island know what's, knows what's on the island. It's sort of, it doesn't have a big international reach. It's not like New York where like for art, it's sort of like art or fashion. It just sort of like stays there. It doesn't really go much further in a certain way. So I felt like very limited in what I could do. And I really was like, okay, it's time to go to New York because there's just a lot more possibilities of like engaging in a more international worldly way with art and different things like that. Totally. And where did you land when you came here? Um, I landed in Crown Heights um, at Union and Nostrand with my friend Dominic, who I'd met at Queer Option in Barcelona. <laughs> and then I ended up living at a... I, I moved around a lot when I first came here. It was sort of like lived in like five places in like two years or something. It was kind of crazy. And um, there was like an amazing house called Infinity Rainbow that was like a lot of queers had started it. Sienna Shields and um, our friend Cheetah had started it and Posey lived there. And so I ended up living with Posey and Granny there. And it was beautiful. It was like a huge Victorian house again, um, right by Prospect Park. And it was wild and four floors and 20 people. It was It was sort of like amazing but then also a nightmare because it was too many people and it would be a little bit like bad girls club screaming fights and stuff like that so that also ended in chaos <laughs> was there like a certain kind of beyond people being queer was there like a certain politic or like a an expression that drew people to living there like um it was very like well i guess it kind of started off as more like friends and family curation and then it sort of unfortunately took a turn to, towards like money and it was sort of like you what you're like who is this person in my house why are you here and they're like i live here now and you're like who are you like does anyone know you like where did you come from so that was sort of like the end where it was sort of disastrous where it wasn't any it started with you know like like many things a more utopian queer dream of like family and friends and um, artists who were like collaborating, you know, so that was like the idea and it, there was definitely some of that still, but yeah. And so in what ways were you exploring kind of that vision of like deep collaboration and having that sort of um, With Posey and Granny, it was definitely like we 
were really good friends and had made a lot of things together. And also our friend Trip lived there and our friend Dominica. So it was it was really beautiful. It was like a lot of different types of art always being made. It was like, it wasn't just one thing at any time. It was sort of like a lot of very multi-faceted artists. Um, so it would be like sewing and then also painting and then everyone also made music also. So it was like there was always kind of this constant creation occurring. And, and who was the audience to all of this creativity? Um, I guess just really the, our extended queer family and friends. Um, but it also was um, going off into different, each person had their own sort of different either established world or not, you know. Um, and people would be like DJing at like parties and clubs also. So it was a mix of like stuff that was involving the house, but then, you know, people doing art shows at different places or. And around what time was this? Um, that was around 2000 and 10, 11, I guess. 2010. Mm. Okay. And then where did you go after there? Um, so then after that, I ended up living with Mel and in Bedsty, and it was sort of like a more lesbianic punk den <laughs> um and they had all um had this place called the loft, which was above Goodbye Blue Monday, which was all like had. It was sort of like, it was almost like a squat, but it wasn't a squat. It was like, they probably had really cheap rent, but it was just like a big loft that a lot of people lived at and they did a lot of punk shows. And that was also a really cool time, but they had also, we had lost our queer house. They had lost that. And so then we were, ended up living in Bedside in this apartment together. Um, and that was sort of, I was really just trying to figure out then and it was like really struggling and had no money at all and was like what am I doing with my life like is is there anything that's gonna happen or like what do I do like how do I even survive in the city Mm. how old were you then um I guess I was like 26 or something so what types of jobs did you do um I was a masseur and (laughs) um I was doing a lot of different gigs at the time that were um like nightlife stuff here and there and sort of weird odd jobs really uh, but yeah and then I think I actually had started at that time working as a host I'm trying to like remember when exactly that started I think yeah I think I had started doing that so it was like I was starting to do more nightlife hosting um and how did that happen I was really surprised, to be honest. I didn't know how any of that worked financially as a business here when I moved here. And like a lot of people, I just sort of went to these clubs. And also the thing that had happened in New York City was that I had left to go to Europe and I had stopped in New York on the way. And I was sort of like checking out. I was like, maybe I want to live in New York. And it was so boring. Like, it was one of those things where we'd be at a bar and... Like, someone would come and tap you, and they'd be like, excuse me, will you stop dancing? And I would be like, what? What What are you talking about? And they Wait, would, was like, that in New York or in New York? In New York. And then they would, like, point to the sign, and they'd be like, look. And they would be like, say, like, no dancing. Like, even at the cock, they had, like, a big sign behind the bar that said no dancing. But then there would be, like, go-go dancers that were allowed to dance because they were hired. But, like, you couldn't dance because of the cabaret laws. 
And it was, I was just really surprised by that. And it was totally a turnoff coming from San Francisco. And then I was like, went to Europe and was like at Berghain and like, you know, so I was like really in a big like party world already of like dancing and loving to go out and be like crazy dancing everywhere. Um, so then, but then when I came back to New York, it was sort of like this sort of technicolor bomb had gone off in the city and it was like all of a sudden it was like full fantasy and there was just so much happening and like Suzanne had started Greenhouse um, at Van Damme and so that party was really wild. It was sort of like the the comeback of like gay clubbing and drag queens and I don't know, club kids, I guess. And so that was really like I was like, oh my God, what is happening? This is amazing. And like a lot of people, I was sort of fooled by it. I was like, wow, everyone's just so fabulous. Wow, this is so crazy. Everyone looks so good. Like, and then, and I was like, wow, everyone has bottle service. They're so expensive. Wow, they have so much money. And they're just giving me free drinks. That's so cool. And then I realized later that it was a job and that like those people who are dancing or like in these crazy outfits, a lot of them were getting paid to be there. And then I was like, oh. And then basically because I was already, like I was already at that time, I was always, and even in San Francisco, like I was 24 seven wearing crazy looks like all the time, like daytime, nighttime, it didn't matter. I would just be wearing the same thing all the time. But everyone was like, thought I was always going to a party or like dressing up for something. But I was like, no, this is just who I am. And so it was like, because of that, it was just a very natural fit. And, you know, I was always dancing. So people, like, were like, oh, like, it just, they were like, oh, you should be a host at this party. And I was like, oh, you're going to hire me to come to the party that I was already going to go to? And then you're going to let me have lists for my friends to get in and give me bottle service? I was like, that's the dream come true. Thank you. This is perfect. So it just worked out very organically. And I was like, thank God I... I'm getting paid for <laughs> just living my life. And so that was really amazing. And I definitely started like, it sort of started off a little slow. And then once I was starting to get booked by Suzanne, that definitely changes everything because then people see you working with sort of like one of the sort of top echelon moments. And then they're like, they want you to host other things. And so it just sort of like snowballed from there. And how did that t change your relationship to people in the community? Or did it change your relationship to people in the community? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that... I think that for me it seemed like a very natural progression, but then it was a thing where I could see along the way and also looking back that it started shifting things. Like anytime money gets involved or something turns into a job, it starts losing parts of its magic in a certain way and I wouldn't say that it was like the magic was immediately lost in any way but it was sort of like it was like the the hourglass had sort of gotten turned so it was like slowly the sand was emptying and you know um it was like you know but then honestly that sand is still going and it took a while in a certain way like and you know there's always magic in a certain way but it just it did change dynamics um and it also is a thing where when you're in a position of power <laughs> in a certain way, it's like people want things from you or like you don't know what people, it, like how genuine people are. Like people are messaging you a lot because they know that they can get into the club for free. Or, you know, people just do start treating you a little differently because they want something from you. 
Um, but I also was just very happy with being able to like sort of have that possibility of being generous in that type of way and also helping to like really make sure that my friends were getting taken care of. Like a lot of times, I think also at that time too, to be honest, it was sort of like even there was a lot of difference in the nightlife world then where it was a lot more segregated and um, like different world, different world, different world. So, um, what was the world you, you were a part of then if they were segregated? For me, I was really like a cloud jumper. Like I have always been a person who like fits into all the worlds and I like love traveling from world to world to world to world. And, but I was sort of one of the, like, it wasn't like everyone would do that. A lot of people would just be really know what they wanted to do. And that's the only thing that they would do. And was it segregated by a venue or a type of party? Like what was the... Um, I would say it was very, um, it was like race and gender, to be honest. Um, and also some, it was very class, classist in a certain way, I would say more so. Mm -hmm. Um, which I always had issues with. Like I always was like, this is weird. Why did, I don't know. But I had also come from... San Francisco, which was very separati separatist. So it was like, in being raised by lesbian and trans separatists, <laughs> I was very like aware of like the importance of that also. So it's like I can, and I still see that it's like, like there are certain moments where, you know, even just with gay people, sometimes you don't want to, you know, it's like, it's important for you to have your own world. And, you know, there's different growth that can happen in different settings or like where people feel more or less safe or free so I think that that's it's still important um but definitely at that time there was like a lot like the gay world gay man world and then the lesbian world and then the trans world were not like there wasn't much crossover like there weren't things that were um bridging those worlds together bringing people together and people had a lot of more issues with each other you know and like they were like mad at each other and like you know like gay men a lot of times would like talk shit about lesbians and it was just always like I was like always surprised coming from San Francisco I was like what the I was like you guys are really not aware like what the hell is happening what was it like in SF I mean San Francisco was just like amazing like it was like I'd been in so many queer places that had been just so aware and much more radical, like much more aware of politics and gender and racism and stuff like that. So coming to New York, it just felt like I was actually surprised with how sort of like basic people were in certain ways. But then also it was like a much more um, diverse world than San Francisco also. Like it was much more like POC and I was so happy to be within that, you know, like being Colombia. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, okay, Whew. Oh, this is like great, you know. So I actually was like, I was more hanging out and much more sort of like, like most of the time it was sort of like very queer, POC, trans, little enclave um, specifically that I was sort of a miss. But then it was sort of like, and that was sort of like this sort of little microcosm of that that grew and grew and grew. So now at this point, it's actually like, you know, it's sort of like the seeds of the spectrum that grew and now it's mm. much better. Um, but yeah. I have a question. I know we'll like get back mm -hmm. to a, a broader sense of this, but um, 
it's been discussed in other interviews, and I'm curious what you think about the door policy at certain queer parties where they're like, no mm-hmm. cis men, you have to pay this amount of money. Like, just like the tiered relationship between trying to kind of like balance or keep out or gatekeep certain mm-hmm. groups from coming. And I just was curious what your opinion was towards that. Well, we definitely also had a hand in doing that more so. <laughs> also, with the Spectrum and the Dream House, we definitely were. Um, you know, I think that we were also just very aware. And when you have a business, you start seeing really who is who is spending the most money on drinks, who is actually paying at the door, you know? So it, and you start really, it's like the club, the club is like a microcosm of reality and like the world at large. So you start really seeing the inner inequalities and like the fucked up shit that's going on, you know? And so definitely we also wanted to, you know, we really, it was a mixture of a lot of things. It was mostly to do with safety. And um, we had, a, a, it was like simultaneously, unfortunately, it was like fucking, <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, like white gay men were the people who were spending the most money um and but then at the same time it was like our problems were mostly with like a mab cis men who would create issues at the club and we would have to kick them out or like and there you know and it was like having to deal with people getting sexually harassed at the club a lot of times and women not feeling safe specifically um and you know, it was like, we never wanted that. So it's like, I definitely felt like that was a good solution of being like, you know, having a tier of, um, of money. And specifically we did have, um, dagger and then buffet later that were, um, specifically more for femmes, women to feel safe. Um, we'll get into all the And so that, that definitely, uh, that definitely was like, we were like, yep, that's, I'm um, going to be, I don't know. I think it was like $50 or like a hundred dollars at the door for <laughs> And do people okay. pay that? Sometimes people would. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, thank you. Um, and then, you know, maybe it, it, we were also like, this doesn't mean that you're not going to get kicked out though. Like we will still kick you out if you're being crazy. So right. it was sort of like the beginning of, yeah, like now seeing like nowadays and like the door like conversation it was sort of like a a way to s- sort of have a little conversation with people right um okay so you were at starting to host mm-hmm. and um learning about kind of like the landscape of all these different parties and like the ways in which people were divided and mm-hmm. or coming together and then how did it shift to you hosting your own or creating your own space um well that kind of happened very somewhat accidentally um, because where I was saying I was living at the lesbian enclave moment, um, I really had like no money at all. And I also knew that I was like kind of like looking for something else. And I also have always been a person who like, just, like, looks up things, even if I'm not really specifically, like, looking for, like, like, I had just been, like, looking literally at 
commercial listings on Craigslist. And I ended up having a, like going over to my friend Nicholas Gorham's house. Um, her name's Nicola now. And um, I was at her house and she started talking about, um, we were just, we were both performer, performance artists. And we were both sort of talking about how hard it was for like affording rehearsal space and just sort of like the the issues of trying to struggle to like make creative performance work without having a space to create it. And like, we were like, it would be so great to like have a space that we could like rent out or blah, blah, blah. And we were just sort of just got on this like conversation of like, wouldn't it be amazing to sort of do this? And like, we were talking, I think about like, you know, places I had seen or like we had been to in the past. Like I had been to a lot of places sort of in Europe that were kind of like that and inspirational in that type of way. Um, and New York is just so like harsh and expensive and all that stuff. So we were like, just sort of like talking about it. And then I was like, you know what? I actually saw this place um, on Craigslist and like, let me show you. It's like right here. And so we pulled it up. And it was like, had this phone number on it. And I don't know if like, I would have done it without her. Like she was sort of like the little catalyst who was like, let's just call them right now, you know? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, let's just call them right now. You know? So we just sort of like did it and we called them and then we ended up having, like going to see it, um, like the next week or something. But it was like in the post, it was, um, it was very perfect you know it was like it literally had these two pictures from before they had painted it and then after they had painted it so it looked very confusing um it actually looked like it was sort of double the size that it was because of that like it sort of like i was like oh it has like four rooms you know but it was actually pictures of the same room um but it was like uh um dance mirrors like rehearsal dance mirrors just wall-to-wall big mirrors on both sides and it was just looked really crazy in the picture. So, and then when we went to see it, like we were like, oh my God, this is actually amazing. And um, we really were wanting to start it as a more of a performance art space and rehearsal space. That was really like a queer community space. And that was really the focus. We weren't really even thinking about parties, to be honest, even though in my life, in my sort of, I guess, like manifestation brain, I had always wanted to throw my own parties and I'd even started throwing parties um, when I was in college in Marseille in France at a club. So it's like I had already started throwing parties and I'd always loved parties and I was working in nightlife at that time already. So then, well, we ended up, um, we had to like, we since we had no money, we had to like figure out how we were going to get like a the deposit and stuff like that. So we literally had to um, borrow money from like our daddies basically. <laughs> and so we had to, um, she borrowed it from her ex-boyfriend and I borrowed it from my friend, Michael Warner. And he's a queer theorist. He's amazing. And he's always been really supportive. And so he <laughs> lent me the money. And so we just ended up, and it was really cheap. Like it, I think it was like 2100 a month. And it was just sort of like for the dance floor room and the little back rooms um, initially. And so it, I guess we both had to, 
I guess we both had to borrow $2,000 to do it, you know? So somehow we did that. Um, and then we got the place. Like, it really happened very fast. And it was very surreal. And we were just sort of like, okay, we did this. We borrowed the money. But we also still have no money. Like, okay, we got to, like, get on figuring out how to make this money and making it sustainable. And so we were like, I was like, well, I know what we could do. We could throw a party and make the money. And um, so... <laughs> I started, that's I, how we started doing parties. That's amazing. <laughs> Can I ask you a really basic question? Yes. What do you love about parties? Um, I think what I've loved has always, has changed a lot over time. But like, you know, I do think that at the core of it and what's always stayed the same is just it being a space for, like, I love people to, I love seeing people, um, like let go and have that type of release where they can just fully lose themselves on a dance floor. And I, I love that in any type of art, you know, it's like, that's why I love art. Like, it's like, I feel that way, like in drawing and painting sometimes, you know? And I think that, but a club is a, a, such a cool thing because it is, um, like, a sort of like a consensual, but, organic collaboration of people where it's like a lot like everyone is um a part of the creation and the creation's happening like in the moment it's not like choreographed you have no idea what's gonna happen and so it's like and everyone is their own character or and so it's like seeing the interactions that happen it's just a very beautiful moment and seeing people being able to let go and then and feel I guess at peace a bit and feel safe and like sort of like um just like love and being loved and like loving other people I, I think that's just really gorgeous to see that come together yeah there's like a lot of healing that can happen lovely <laughs> okay so you got the space you got the money you decided to throw this party and then how did it flow well I mean that was the thing where I didn't really know how it was going to go and, but it happened really fast. Like it really was, we were, we were just in the right place at the right time and knew the right people. Like it was like the first time you've said that in this interview. There we go. Blessed. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, yeah, it was like the first party I think was a new year's party and it was like Will Automagic was DJing, you know, it was like already was like the one of the biggest DJs was already DJing there. And for like $50 or something, you know what I mean? It was like, we had no money. So it was like, we didn't even know how to pay people. It was like, we were just figuring it out as we went. And it was mostly, especially at that time, it was like everyone who was doing it was just, it wasn't like they were coming to an established club and doing it. They were doing it because it was like, we were all friends and all believed in doing it and just were having fun doing it. And so it was, it was, uh, it was pretty magical. And how how was the ride? How many years did it go on? Um, it definitely well, the first place lasted for from two thousand and eleven. We started it until two thousand sixteen. That's a long time. Um, yeah, and then um, so five years, I guess, and then 
the second place lasted for like three years, I guess. It was like 2016 to 2019. Um, yeah, and then we're still throwing parties here and there and everywhere. Um, but there was a, a lot of like sort of like arcs in it. You know, it definitely was sort of like went from that like really beautiful, very DIY moment to like being like, oh, we're actually making a good amount of money. This is a business. Like we have, you know, it was like the business was growing and I was learning it. We were learning it as we went. Like we had to figure it out. We had, and we didn't know how to do it. Yeah. It was great. It was a great learning experience, but you know, it was also, we were, we learned a lot from our mistakes too. So, um, you know, it had its ups and downs and definite like learning moments. And I was really young, you know, I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand a lot of different things. So it was like, I learned a lot through the whole process of about myself and then about like dealing with different people and, you know, just figuring out how to make things happen and how to make sure that people could be paid appropriately as much as possible. Um, you know, and so it, I don't know, it had its fluctuations and the first spectrum was like really a, a success story. And if it, like we left because the building got sold or like seized in bankruptcy court from our landlord. But it, like, it's sort of like that could have continued going on for a while, but also the building was once again falling apart. It was kind of dangerous. It was actually good that we got out when we got out. And then that kind of similarly was the case with the second one, but the second one was also like more of like, like the first one was like DIY success story of like queer opulence. And then the second one was more like what happens to the, the queer dream when it becomes capital capitalist and has to like survive and then it's like you see the downfall of and how did that, that shift how did it become more focused on that aspect um just through pure survival because it was so expensive the second place was like you know as it had started at <laughs> like $2,100 that place then was like you know it probably well it was like uh, like $13,000 a month, give or take some, like we were supposed to pay property taxes and stuff. It was a nightmare. It was just so hard to be consistently making so much money. And then that, and also it was like the, the space itself, like more than doubled. So it was like our capacity grew and it was like we were um, really just pushing it to the limit of like you know, it was like the scale changed so drastically. There had to be so many more people working there to make sure that everything went okay. And like even just the amount of bartenders, the amount of security people, the amount of door people to deal with that amount of people was really wild. And it was extremely stressful. <laughs> How do you deal with your stress? Um, I hope better now than I have in the past. I don't know. It's... <laughs> Once again, that's also been a, a very big learning process of having to realize that I'm not superhuman and that I have to ask for help and I have to like, I can't do it all myself. So, um, but with stress, I think that like, for me, it's, I have to remember to do like a lot of self care and a lot of like, you know, finding those quiet moments and 
giving myself enough time to like slow down also and not just be consistently moving at like the speed of light and just like go 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 like there was so much time that I would have to be like working like all day and all night you know so so now I have a better handle on it and I definitely don't think that I would ever go back into that type of situation in the same way that I did do the dream house at least and even the spectrum like I you know I'm just in a different place in my life now and I'm like, I can throw parties without having a venue and having to do all the things that a venue does. Um, and you mentioned before, like, themed parties, mm-hmm. like Dagger and Buffet. Can you describe what they were based on? Or... Um, so we actually started, the first party that we started throwing, that was like my, my dream baby, um, was Over the Rainbow. And it was um, each time we would do a different theme um, and we um, at the beginning it was just the rainbow like I I really wanted to see and it was sort of like this really fun art project for me that was almost like um, it was like research about colors so it was like we went from red through the whole rainbow Roy G. Biv and um with each one i really wanted it like i was in this very um it was very like like oh what's it called when you do conceptual it was a very conceptual art kind of thing moment in a way that now i don't really do that type of like like deep heady conceptualness within a party anymore like maybe I would do that more again at some point but it was very lofty and ambitious at that time looking back at it and it was very like I wanted to have like each one deal with like these deeper sort of like metaphysical ideas and perceptions like I always wanted even if people got it or not like that they would be in this space that was like like, surrounded by, like, these really deep thoughts, you know? So it wasn't just, like, a surface. Like, I was sort of, like, really annoyed with just, like, surface parties and, like, surface culture and all that stuff. And then also even with... In Nightlife, it was, like, always a photographer anywhere you went. It was, like, sort of, like, too much, like, actual photography and, like, flashes. And you're just like, whoa, like, can we just do something that's more experiential without cameras? And so, anyway, the first one was, like, called Rubedo, which was is very like one of the alchemical phases of the alchemical process so it was like the beginning of like the magnum opus and then it was just sort of like kept going into different things like i think the the yellow one was like bifurcation and it was like um it had like claude cahoon on (laughs) on the flyer and so it was like this very deep idea of like bifurcation and um like gender and androgyny and stuff like that and we had another one then later after we had gone through the rainbow we started doing ones that were like um they're like hypercube which is like this sort of like quantum idea (laughs) you know so it was like a lot about space time bending realities dimensions chakras you know things like that Um, so I always just like, liked, like, it was just always exciting to sort of think up these new things. And then also just like have a project for myself or like people really live for like, 
you know, everyone loves a theme party. So they would be able to like get ready and get into the theme. And the performances would always be a little bit like we had a mermaid one and Angelina Dream like wrapped herself in cellophane as a mermaid, you know? So it was just like, there was a lot going on and it was very um, out there. And like, I, I love that. Um, and that continued until we um, ended the dream house. Um, and then there were these other parties that were more um, specific, like the dagger and the buffet were more, um, more like those other parties were like full spectrum. And then those parties would be more sort of like specific to different communities within our community. So it was like, we also had, um, there's buffet, but then the other one was banquet. The, the gay ma man one was banquet. So it was like sex parties, but, um, you know, we, people always were, were like, wanted us to do like, like everyone inclusive sex party. And I was always like, you know, you guys, I can see this going very wrong. And like, I don't think we're there yet. Like, I wish we could say we were there yet, but like, it's not like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it was better for us to keep that a little bit more specific. And um, yeah, those were great. And especially Buffet was an amazing production of so many people coming together and having little vignette moments like boot um, shining station and just different like people getting suspended and having rigs and I don't even know what some of those things are called like the cross thing it was really cool and just sort of to see and create that type of thing like the game the game has <laughs> one was actually a little bit basic unfortunately and I was sort of like well this isn't this isn't giving me much to like get excited about you just really don't have to do much setup people are just happy to do whatever wherever but then the buffet was really like everyone was really focused on the production and like putting it together and making it happen and I always love when people are really much more involved in in the creation of an experience it's really fun wow <laughs> <laughs> I mean I could go in about buffet I was <laughs> yes um Okay, well, um, we, just to come a little, mm -hmm. to peel back a little, um, I was just wondering in the landscape of all of this, and I know you are a constellation of a thousand things, mm -hmm. um, but I was wondering just for this project, how you would describe your gender as you feel mm -hmm. now. Um, well, for me, I've always been very gender fluid. Um, for a while, I was like gender fluid gender flux <laughs> but um and I think that like for me I definitely sort of found my found my people found similar souls and people with similar gender identities um even, like through San Francisco and like traveling a lot um of queer communities internationally um sort of before people were talking about like non-binary stuff and things like that, which I'm really excited that people are more aware of that and that that's more of a casual option these days. Cause it was, um, it's just the, the landscape has changed in the last 10 years for sure. Um, and you know, since I was a kid, I definitely was like, I was like, I grew up as a little girl and I always was like, I'm a girl. Like 
that's it. And my parents were sort of like, they also did, there was not much, I don't think that they, there were not other kids that I knew at the time that were like that, like around me and like, or parents who like my parents could talk to about that. Like there wasn't that much dialogue going on. So my parents did a pretty good job, but um, I definitely think that if I had grown up at a different time, there was a huge chance that I would have, you know, transitioned at age 13 immediately. Like no thought about it um but because i grew up at it at the time that i grew up it just wasn't necessarily an option and i also had to really like go into full-on hiding you know at age like 12 or 13 like i had to like full like fully go in the closet and like create a completely different character who i was you know of like being a boy being a man you know and having to pass in that type of way so and out of survival you know and I definitely had you know dangerous moments like and got beat up and you know got a lot of shit for who I was um so you know but at this point um and in over the years I've really sort of like had different sort of ebbs and flows um over the years and even for myself in who I am currently and it's been like this for you know I think kind of like my whole adult life it's been a thing where the sort of like gender flux is like literally I never know how long it's gonna be where the sort of thing changes and sometimes it would be like very like in the day like my gender changes like three times um and then sometimes it's like you know for like weeks at a time I'm like sort of like oh this is my gender right now and then it will change like overnight in a way or like in some moment it so it's like it's a very it's sort of like we'll have like smaller intervals or longer moments um and more recently I definitely sort of decided post pandemic I was like you know pandemic was a time to think about a lot of things and that was definitely one of those things where I felt like I had been sort of like even though I'd been very very expressive and not like afraid of being who I was in a certain way I felt like I had never really sort of sat down and um really addressed it and I was like I need to like really get this together like I need to actually like really meditate into this really sort of go through that process of sort of self like being like what am I scared of like or what am I not scared of and definitely I felt like well I ended up when I came back from the pandemic, I went to Cal and Lord and got, you know, my checkup, whatever. And then they're like, do you have any other questions? And I was like, well, I wanted to talk to you more about hormones. <laughs> and they were like, and they're like, oh, like they were like about to get up to leave. And then they were like, oh, okay, hold on. We're going to sit down. This is actually going to be a longer conversation than we planned. And so then we had this conversation about stuff and I was sort of like, well, you know, this is sort of like my gender. It's like, you know, not like, um, not binary, it's very androgynous, blah, 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 blah. And they were, you know, they always ask, like, what do you want? Like, what do you, what, where do you want your body to be? You know, things like that. And then they told me that there was this other option that I had never known about called raloxifene, which is, um, it's not estrogen, but it's a thing that's, like, more neuro. And so it um, actually is very androgenizing. And it's something where you don't develop breasts. And I was like, oh, that's 
that's amazing. Like, that's actually exactly what I want. Like, and I never knew that that was actually a possibility. And so I was like, sign me right up. I'm, okay, give me the pill. Here we go. We're doing it right now. And so I started doing that more than a year ago. And um, it definitely was, it's been an amazing process that definitely I was sort of like not sure of where it was headed. Because for me, it was like, I was like, well, there's actually a good chance that at this point, like, this is the tip of the iceberg. And in like two months, I might be like, okay, time for my top or my boobs. I need, I need breasts now, you know? Um, and that I was like, maybe going to go full fish, you know, full cis woman ahead, you know? And then, you know, but then I, um, it didn't really sort of end up that way. Like, but I was sort of like, okay, like let's, I'm going to be fully open to this process and see where, where my ship is headed. And then, um, ironically, the, the, the ship sort of actually went like full circle for me. And in the long run, I, it's like a thing where I definitely am still just going to, I feel very fine and happy doing this, um, drug, I guess. But, and I'm going to continue with that. But at the same time, I do think that what it ended up as was that I was like, oh, I actually knew who I was and I'm still that person. And I still feel the same way of my gender, which is, I'm just going to accept this. Like, I am a very androgynous person and my gender does shift a lot, you know? And so it's like, I'm just going to sort of be in this more androgynous space and just accept that for... That's what I was doing before. That's what I'm doing now. You know, it's like in not putting labels on it, you know, is good for me, you know, not being like, like, you know, a part of me could be like, I'm actually a woman, but I'm actually very like, for the most part, I'm very butch and like, like wearing a lot of sports clothes. And then occasionally I'll like dress up at night and like put some heels on and put some eyelashes on and call it a day, you know, but you know, it's like, I don't even want to like even describe it like that anymore. Um, and I think that what I also realized was that I just had had like a lot of fear and up into that point of like it was sort of like I, I killed off the last sort of like um, internalized transphobia within myself finally which I didn't really realize I still had any of it but it was like a thing where I was sort of like I think I really was a little bit afraid that I would just fully transition to be a woman and then I was like, once I finally was like accepted that as a possibility and I was like, that is totally fine for me to do if I want to. And like, let's just embrace this process. It changed a lot. Like I just sort of was like able to just like let go of like that little last remnant of fear or something within myself. And I just feel like so much more um, like whole or like who I am and just like um, confident in, in my life, you know? So I, I just am very happy with that. I'm like, oh, okay. At least, ironically, I'm like, oh, we, we got somewhere. But then I'm like, oh, we got back to sort of where I was. But that's okay. Here we are. <laughs> you know? And how has that gender journey coincided with your dating life or hookup life? Um, for me, definitely, it's a thing that I, like, I've thought about so much because I do think that in certain ways, some people's presentation or gender works better with their sexuality than other people and for me it's like I don't think that my <laughs> unfortunately I think I fall into the thing of like my um sort of like gender experience really is not that connected with my sexuality 
Like, and I wish it was a little bit more aligned, you know? Um, but it's just not. So for me, it's a little bit um, strange because it's sort of like I definitely feel like a lot of times I have to be sort of like in drag to do, ironically, in drag to like hook, have hookups or like find lovers or like that kind of thing, which is ironically like male drag, <laughs> you know? So it's like... I have to sort of like, it's sort of like detransition-y for me in a way that's like a little bit annoying and just sad that it's like, I guess it's a New York thing too, because that's where we are. Because in definitely other places I've lived, like in San Francisco, it's not a problem. Like, you know, or like Europe, there was so much of the time before I moved to New York where it was like, I would be like making out with someone and we were both in like, like fully painted a color or, you know, it was just like not... It wasn't, like, like, New York moving here at that time was very mask for mask. And that was just really unfortunate to me and definitely was detrimental in my, like, mental health at the time. And having to sort of constantly do that sort of weird, like, hiding yourself again thing is never like code, fun. Code switching. Yeah, you know, it's just like, it's sort of... Like, I feel like it's unfortunately a little bit unhealthy sometimes, or it was for me. And, um, but at this time, I, at this point, I actually think that, um, ironically in the process of doing this gender exploration and research at this point, I really feel like it has freed me up because I think that actually in getting to know who I really am and really live my full truth and be just who I am and just accept myself for who I am and not feel like I have to change myself for anything and just be like, well, if someone's interested in this, that's great. And I feel like it actually has sort of switched the magic a little bit too. So it's like, I definitely have been, I've met a lot more people who are just more interested in me for who I am. So it's been interesting because I think that there, there was actually a thing that was like, like a mental, like, disconnect before that, that was just sort of, it was like the magic wasn't happening, there was like a disconnect going on, and then now that I am more embodying who I truly am, it's, everything's working mm. better. It's cute. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. And also in a way where people, I've, um, you know, it's like with lovers, like, I've had more conversations about gender, too. And people, I think, like, I'm really excited for 2023, 2022. It's like a time where people are a lot more aware of that kind of thing. And so I think things have been changing a lot in New York. Yeah, how does it feel like being at this age and this time in concert with people of Gen Z that have access to everything that have been able to kind of like experiment and go in as like children, as babies. Mm. It's amazing. And it's like, you know, there's a little bit of sadness in it. Like, you know, there's like some like little tiny regrets, but overall, not really. Like for me, I'm like actually just very inspired by it and like really amazed. And I love, I love, I love seeing people's, truths or identities and who they are um 
and I think that it's really exciting to like I love I love trans experience. It's really exciting. And to me these days it's like walking around it's like most of the time I don't even really think about gender anymore. And so actually a lot of times I'll actually like it's like I'm not trying to like clock anyone, you know what I mean or something. And so it's like a lot of times I'll be like, "Oh my god, wait." Oh, I totally didn't realize you were trans. Or like you know it's like I'll, it'll be like an afterthought where I'm like, "Oh wait, whoa, I forgot." whoa, oh, or like the opposite. Like I've had friends that I thought were trans. And I was just like, oh yeah, she's trans. And then like, was like, oh, you're not trans. Oh shit. <laughs> you know, like that's so funny. Like, oh, oh wait. Yeah, I guess in relating to that, like your evolution how have you related to the scene that you've been in as it's changed through all these different spaces now having kind of a decentralized space is there ways that you um yeah just like relate to the people in it and the ways that you approach it differently um i mean i think it's always been a learning process and so it's like i feel like even um just more um I feel like, I guess, at this point, I feel more excited to just sort of, like, let go of, like, you know, needing to be the person doing something. Just excited to, like, go and see what new people are doing, new things, and just experiencing those. But then at the same time, a part of me, too, is sort of like, oh, yeah, I can always, you know, part of the beginning of what I did was seeing what was missing and being like, oh, or like hearing people also, like like hearing people um, complain is actually always amazing because you can see what people want. And so like listening to people's complaints or, you know, even like at the beginning, I was like, like hearing myself complaining. And I was like, oh, like instead of just complaining, I'm going to just do something about it. Like people a lot of times complain and I'm then like, that's it. like, what is your it. sign? That's like an incredible instinct to be like, and I'm going to fix that. Or yeah, it's like, like, why not do something about it? Like, I don't want to hear you all talking about that anymore. Like, why doesn't someone just do something about it? You know, so like that was just fun to do. And then once again, still I'm like, oh yeah, maybe. Oh, actually, okay, I can see what's missing here. So like, let's just, I'll just do that. What are some visions coming up that you want to explore? Um, well, once again, I do think that what's missing again is, and things go in these sort of like patterns or like ebb and flow moments. And so once again, um, I think sort of what's missing is people dressing up, people having these sort of like dress up parties. There are like not that many people who do that anymore. Like, like honestly, kind of like Suzanne is still the only one who is doing that. Um... And then there will be some other things that are like fetish parties or something, but that's sort of different, I would say. And so um, we're doing our 10-year anniversary uh, for the Spectrum, and it's Over the Rainbow again, which we had put on pause since we had the last space. Um, and at that time, we also sort of stopped that because it had been like there were more people doing dress-up parties, and it was sort of like had lost its mystique or magic or like it was like more people were doing it so it's sort of like there wasn't the need for that anymore so i was like well let's just have a party and it doesn't have to be a theme anymore um but now i'm very excited to do that again and i you know i just i 
I love having more fantasy. I love having, like, I don't know, themes or ideas or, like, just putting that more creativity into it. Yeah. Um, and so, so I'm excited for that. What it? I don't know if you can in this moment, but what are some like iconic parties that you remember having or that surprised you when you threw? You're like, oh, people really turned out for this. Um, I really, well, there's like so many, but I really loved our, we had a let them eat cake um, party that was like Marie Antoinette kind of themed, but it was like Marie Antoinette, but then like about butts, like cakes, you know? And so the flyer was like cakes and butts and big wigs. And so we had like, like sometimes just like the, the decorations would be like more successful for certain things. And it was just like, you know, you're like, you get on a roll and you're like, whoa, I'm really excited about this. Like, and like, I just like the really weird things too. But that one was really fun because we had like, um, mannequins, but I had done all their hair with, um, like packing stuff. So it was like all taped up but like these big white wigs and it just like looked really good and everyone who was dressed up looked great also that night um and then we also had one around that time that was um macrophilia which was super random but i really wanted i like it was sort of like it's actually a fetish so it's like about like giant worship or like really big people and really little people and there's like a lot of um animated porn that's like that too where like some little guy is like crawling into someone's ear or something or butt, you know. So I, that was a really fun one. And we had like a, my friend made a giant hand coming from a skylight. And then actually this girl showed up who was literally seven feet tall. And she was like, she was like, I am so excited for this theme because this is actually what a lot of my work is. And I was like, it was just so cool to like just see it actually really come to life in that type of way. And also, you know, for her, like to hear her be like, thank you so much for doing this. You know, it was just really cool to have that type of, um, like realizing that you're doing something sort of bigger and that it's, it's just really sweet. Right. We also had to turn up one and there were literally bags with turnips hanging from the ceiling and it was like, turn up. And that was the one that Bjork came to. Which was super random. And I was like, this is the weirdest one for you to come to. And But, like, of course you're here and there are turnips in cages in the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, how do you negotiate, like, fame and celebrity and kind of, like, all the ways that that also is a part of party culture and social life in New York? Um, I think that we've, we've navigated it in such a, like, just chill, organic way. And um, for me... New York has always been a place, like, even when I first came here, it was, like, immediately I just was, the people I was with brought me to, like, John Cameron Mitchell's New Year's party, and it was, like, I was there with, like, all these celebrities immediately, like, Keanu Reeves, like, tapped me on the shoulder to go by. You know, it was sort of, like, one of those things where I was, like, oh, this is just what New York is um, from the beginning. And then doing the party, it was such a strange thing to sort of see like these celebrities come in and out and but it was also amazing because even within our world what we really what I really loved creating was a space where people could just be themselves and where it was really chill and like a lot of times it was really dark so people like wouldn't really see people and it was like a lot of times people would be 
coming from after work. So there would be like drag queens after work who were still in drag or definitely like, um, like then as our friends started getting more famous too, we would have like a lot of friends who were actually famous at that time or still are who would just be there. But it was like, they could also just be like, I'm not like putting on a show right now. Like I am literally just chilling and I can just be myself now and not be, and it was different than if they were at a mega club in Manhattan or even in Brooklyn, you know, it was just like the, it would be different. It was more familial. It was more like hanging out in a, um, a living room or a house rather than, um, it being, um, you know, and even some of the times, like I was like starstruck myself. Like I remember one time it was when, um, Shannon from Light Asylum and Bunny Michaels came at the Spectrum. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, you're here. You know, and it's just like, it's really cute to like look back because it's like I'm better friends with them now. But it was like at that time to see how cute and like starstruck I was of them was just really adorable, like looking back. Totally. You became this like magnet towards all the things that you also wanted to kind of encounter. Yeah, in a certain way. It was just, you know, and I mean, it's sort of like, you're like, whoa, my reality is bending. Like, Bjork definitely broke my brain that day, where I was like, what is happening? I was like, wanted to run in the opposite direction. I was so scared. But then I was like, okay, just walk. I was like, I literally had to be like, do not turn around and run. Literally make your feet walk towards the bar. Right. And take care of the situation. This is hospitality. You can do this. (laughs) And I know that, like, a lot of parts of nightlife include, like, drugs and substances, and I'm just wondering, like, what your experience with them is like, and how that has kind of, like, shaped and or changed you throughout the years. Well, <laughs> I had... No, no, that. totally, yeah. I, um, so I started actually going to parties at the age of 14 at raves in Massachusetts, and there was a really big rave club um, where I grew up called the asylum and it was really crazy and it was 16 plus but it was like had it was like two floors it was giant it was like thousands of people could fit in there and they had like you know a transfer room a jungle room a happy hardcore room a house room like multiple rooms for different types of music and they i don't think that they served alcohol because it was 16 plus so they only had drugs there and so I started doing drugs at a really young age, like, like Euphoria doll. And so I was, I did drugs, like, you know, I, and I, as a kid, like, as someone that's that young, like, I think like a lot of people, I didn't know, you don't know how much is too much. You don't know how to dose yourself. You just do what other people are doing. And it's very strange. So basically I kind of had a, I had, I had, by the time I was in my 20s, I had sort of gotten, like, by the time I moved to New York, I was, like, done with drugs. I was like, oh, I did that, like, already. And so it was like, I got that out of my system really early. Um, And that was really lucky for me in doing, like, I I don't think that the Spectrum and the Dreamhouse would have been possible if I had been doing drugs at that time, you know? And, you know, here and there, I would maybe do something here and there, but it was very different. And... 
And looking at it now, it's definitely a little bit strange, but it's sort of like, I think that it was a very like non-judgment zone in a certain way. It was sort of like, you you know, everyone's adults and we'll try to take care of each other as much as possible, but to each their own and, you know, pick your poison if you want to. And here we go. You know, it's a party. So um, I definitely think that I could have been more aware in a certain way at the beginning of it, but I also think that we were pretty still aware and on it as far as like safety and um, harm reduction and care for our community in those ways. But at the same time, we also created something that was super headless. It was like headless horsemen of the apocalypse in a certain way um, where it did become more and more excess oriented and it was underground. So it was like, there weren't, security guards there wasn't and like i i love i love freedom of things you know i don't like policing of stuff and so that was really a dream come true in certain ways but then you know like looking back it is pretty enabling and it does have its sort of like ups and downs and it's also like you know getting older and seeing like my friends and family get older it's like a lot of people struggle or are struggling with substance abuse um, or addiction and it's really hard to watch and you know it's like I've been around people also even since like I was a teenager who have been addicts and you know I've watched people struggle I've seen people die or like I haven't physically seen people die but I've lost friends um, and so that's been that's definitely been rough along along the time and for me it's like I drink too much that's a thing but I've also gotten better at um figuring out my limits and figuring out like moderation more and more over, you know, it's like, and that has had to be a, um, like a very intentional shift within myself of being like, okay, wait, like I'm not in my twenties anymore. Like I need to figure out like what I'm doing and like who I want to be or like what I want to do. And like, I've had moments of being like, Oh, I'm not drinking right now. Or I'm drinking now, you know? And so for me, though, through that process, it's actually been more of a thing about figuring out moderation for myself rather than being really polar. Because for me, I think that's when it gets a little bit more dangerous of, like, being like, I'm sober! And then it's, like, all of a sudden relapse, and then you're, like, blacked out, and then it's, like, crazy, you know? That's sort of, like, I'm like, okay, let's do something a little bit more in between. Yeah. Find that sweet spot of moderation. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay, and just to bring it to the, this moment, what other forms of like create, creative expression are you interested in exploring? And because the club is decentralized mm-hmm. and you're hosting these parties, yeah, are there just like other... Because what I'm gathering now is you are in yourself an artist and explore so much through your own fashion and dance and like theatricality. Mm-hmm. And also you hold this container, like you just are a host and host, like, space. Mm. And so there's, like, this range. And I'm just wondering, yeah, within that range, what other kind of um, uh, forms mm. you're looking into or wanting to create? Um, so right now I've been, um, like, since the pandemic I started, um, because I was in a place where I didn't really have, like, the ability to you know, make large scale things or whatever. I was like, okay, like I need to like scale down and like also scale back with 
in dimensions. You know, I had gone so far. Like, I had started off with art as, like, drawing, painting. And then I'd gone so far into the direction of, like, multidimensional, ephemeral art and performance. And, like, we don't even want to document it. It's only in the moment kind of things. Um, that I was like, hold on. I'm going to, like, okay, I need to, like, go all the way back to the beginning. And then also think about things that, like, I was like, you know, I think I'm more, I guess getting older, it's like you're more aware of mortality. And you're like, what do I want to leave on this planet? So, like, figuring out, like, I'm like, oh, I want to, like, create some physical things that, like, could be here in, like, 200 years in a museum, and someone can look at it and get inspired by it. So I started painting again, and then I've been working on these sculptures also. And it's like I've been doing a lot of performance things here and there still, but I'm I'm definitely more excited about trying to have more time and space to really do things that are more like um, working on some things that could be shows of like in a gallery and I don't have to be there physically on stage at all. Like they can just exist. People can go see them. Um, and you know, I've also been very inspired by artist friends of mine um, and seeing other people's processes and being like, you know what, like that's really cool that, you know, I feel like, so much of the time and within the club stuff and even performance stuff, it's like you're at the center of the thing and it couldn't happen without you being in the center of like spotlight thing. So it's like to take that out of the equation completely and not having to be there is like an amazing new thing. And I feel like it opens a lot of like freedom to me. And I just like love textures and stuff. And even with like, I sew a lot of, costumes or thing like clothes so I started also um taking my sewing practice of like the way I would sew to make a garment but then doing it in a not garment way like so it's more of like a fabric sculpture actually so it's like I've been working on that kind of stuff more so just really kind of like taking little parts of my process and then expanding them a lot. Like, really just expanding. Being like, oh, like, this was, like, the beginning of something. Like, let's just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep adding, keep sewing more and more and more, you know, and just until it's done. So I'm very excited. I want to see that. Yeah. I think you've seen some of that. Oh, I think so. <laughs> Potentially. Um, and a few last questions. Mm-hmm. So because the spectrum has been so wide-ranging, so many people have come through so throughout the years, how would you want the story of the spectrum to be told? Well, actually, funny that you say that, because there are actually a few different things that are kind of in the works, potentially about, um, my friend is writing a book um, that started as a thesis for Yale, and now is getting, there's a publisher, and so they're working on that right now, and I just had a meeting talking to Journey about this book project and she and it's interesting because she's been talking about different possibilities and so what she wrote was really just about the first spectrum space it didn't go into the dream house space at all and so it's like I definitely I'm more of a person that's like in the moment and I want to focus on the future so it's been interesting to have these conversations with different people about um, that type of like archiving and seeing the importance of that and also because 
you know, I'm the person with probably the most memories of it, you know, that I got to work on that while I'm here, you know, so, so it's interesting. Um, I do think that it's, it's like a bigger, like, I do like the, um, the thing of it being like the spectrum and the dream house sort of like together. I do think that it's sort of an interesting, it's an interesting story of, um, of like success and failures of, of queer dreams and like sort of wishing for utopia within a really flawed world that's and realizing in some ways like it's not that possible but it's also possible because we created that fantasy anyway but I don't know um yeah I I feel like it will be interesting to see how different people do it because I don't think that I'm I, you know, it's like I can be a part of the process in a certain way, but it's like, that's not, like, I don't want to, like, now be like, okay, what I have done in my life is, that's it. And now I'm going to now spend the next three years looking back on that and, like, only working on that. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm the person to be, like, then, like, going to, like, make a movie about it. You know, like, someone, it takes someone else to do that and have that interest. And, like, you know, I have other friends who are, think, thank Gaia, they are um, interested in that type of reminiscence and um, history and archiving. So, that's cool. Thank God. Good job, Aviva. Okay, so in wrapping up, Mm -hmm. um, are there any kind of like last thoughts or things that feel important to say for this particular interview? Um, I do think that, uh, kind of going in along with art stuff, looking back on everything, I also think that it's sort of interesting because I think it is sort of like a unintentional art project that I did. You know, like there's a lot of, you know, like, uh, art as social practice kind of things that, um, like I definitely started, you know, sort of after the fact, I was like, oh, this is so interesting because it is sort of like this very, it's sort of like, it is, like I've been thinking about it more as sort of like this long-term durational installation performance kind of thing that happened. And so I've, I don't know, I think that that's something I've been sort of dissecting of like being like, and also just seeing the way that, um, it has shifts in the way that New York City has changed and um, and people's awareness within social contexts, I guess. Yeah, it's like had to be shaped and reshaped so many times mm-hmm. through the, like, the obstacle course that is New York City. Yeah, and then it also gives me a lot of... Um, you know, my, this experience was one that is, like, in a vast sea of so many other experiences like that. Like, there's so many people who've had different kinds of, like, spaces or events or, like, that kind of stuff that is not me. So it's, like, from before and even new people doing it now. And so it's, like, to, 
like it gives my experience gives me respect for those other people's experiences with the way that they're figuring out their things or like they're creating new spaces for whatever needs to happen now um and so it's cool for me to watch different people do stuff like I'm very excited for like the next generations Mm. to continue what advice would you give them as someone who's gone through that don't start a venue no I'm joking (laughs) no do it no please please start a venue um yeah I feel like there's definitely been people who I who there's been a lot of conversations about um about people wanting to do that kind of thing and I feel like I was so lucky um and had a lot of support you know with people who who could um like lend us money or different things like that which was really helpful um but yeah I mean I'm always available to talk about that with anyone if they want to um or also it's like you know people have it's so funny, like, sometimes, like, we were standing in line, and someone was like, I want to buy a club, and I was like, what? I was like, you want to buy a club? I was like, okay, we can talk about that, <laughs> you know? I was like, what? what's your number again? <laughs> you know? So I think that, like, who knows? We'll see what's possible, but it's always what I have told other people in this kind of thing with that is just keep your ears open, because it really is, like, if you want to do something, it might really be right there. You just have to be open to it, and, like... And pay attention. Like, you have to be, like, keep your eyes and ears open. Because what you're actually looking for might literally be sitting next to you on the subway. And if you have earphones in and you're just looking at your phone the whole time and you're not paying attention, you might completely miss it. So you're just, like, raw-dogging. You're just out there with nothing. <laughs> <You're> just... <laughs> yeah, you gotta... I mean, who knows? You just gotta be, like, open to the possibilities and no, totally. not be scared of, like, talking to people. <laughs> well, it just make, makes me... Or reminds me of how you're like, I love when people complain. It like gives me a lot of information around like what's missing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, do something. Like if you're complaining, just what do you want to do about it? <laughs> On that note, period. <laughs> love that. Thank you so much. I also just want to add that you helped shape my entire 20s. Oh, thank you. And that that space was so meaningful for me. And I am just like in love with you being a part of the archive because you created such a such a moment in like our social life and like Aww. history thank you so much so thank you i think we all created it together no, to be honest I, in I a way that, too. But, you know but yes you exactly that. i really yeah i know Ooh. i thank you i will take i will take credit for that thank you so much mm-hmm. <laughs> okay